Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Need to get ready for Wake Forest on Saturday. Chris Graham here on the podcast. But first, we'll we'll recap the pit game uh, in great excruciating detail. Um, 74-63 loss for Virginia in that one. And, uh, you, you know, I, I didn't see it coming. I, I did a radio interview literally minutes before tip uh, with a station down in Lynchburg. And, uh, uh, you know, among the thoughts I offered there, <laughs> and this shows how much I know, right? Um, oh, yeah, this will be a rock fight. Uh, I think the game will be in the 50s, maybe around 60. Uh, these two teams will, you know, p- play pretty tough. And and no, that was not what, what happened. I, it's, you know, Pitt, it was pointed out to me, I mean, I knew this, but, you know, someone pointed it out after the game. Oh, they had a, basically a week to prepare for this one. And so, yeah, I mean, Pitt did. And, and you know, you get that advantage one time a season in the ACC with an odd number of teams, uh, you know, there's at least this year. So this is the last year of that being the case. Uh, you know, one, one team has to sit out either a midweek game or a weekend game. This this was the week where Pitt missed its midweek game. So I think they played last Wednesday, and then they played Virginia Tuesday night. So Jeff Capel and crew could get a little bit of rest and also spend a little bit of extra time preparing for Virginia and, you know, d- devising up a nice game plan. Virginia had a game on Saturday. You know, you come back. Um, uh, you have, uh, what, you have Sunday to to kind of rest, lick your chops, get some treatment, uh, and then, and then the coaches are working on uh, the game film and and game plan, and you know players are are getting some shots up, and then on Monday you really work on the game plan for for Tuesday night. Um, so it is what it is, right? Uh, Pitt had a great chance to, uh, to to scheme a little bit there, but they didn't really scheme a lot new. I mean, Tony Bennett and crew knew what Pitt was going to try to do. They've got guards uh, who are really good. They've got a a, a stretch four in Blake Henson, who is not like a lot of stretch fours. You know, stretch Jake Groves is a stretch four, a six nine guy who's about two hundred and five pounds if he's anything, and um, you know, read thin and he shoots threes and he shoots them well, fifty percent. Uh, this Henson kid is is six eight, about two thirty. That's what he's listed at. It looks like he might be a little little heftier there. Um, got a lot of bounce, can shoot threes, and um, you know, does his job. Uh, pretty well and uh, he shoots 8.13s per game at least he was shooting 8.13s per game coming in he shot 13 against Virginia so I'm sure that number went up uh, obviously um, over the season maybe 8.2 now but uh, and he shot him at a 40% clip coming in and so uh, what Pitt does and does well you saw it the other night maybe you didn't see it it's you know it's one of those things I guess I I got criticized by a reader today for diving too deep into the analytics not just the analytics and numbers, but uh, you know what I saw on the floor and trying to break it down for you. But uh, the players and coaches talked about it after the game. Uh, what Pitt does so well is they run what are called uh, ball screen separates. Uh, look to me like slip screens. So maybe that's just a new term for it. Maybe whatever the case may be there. But essentially where a ball handler runs to a screener and – uh, you know, you can either do the traditional pick and roll, which is traditional pick, uh, pick and pop, uh, or uh, a separate is where the, when when the ball handler runs to the screener, the screener just immediately as quickly as possible separates. That's why they call them ball screen separates and uh, uh, makes it hard for the defense with, when you have all those options, whether it be uh, a pick where the ball handler just goes around the screen um uh, and then you have to the, the two defenders have to either worry about 
the the screener rolling to the basket or popping to the the three point line. That's just pick and pop or pick and roll, um, or that slip screen where slip screen or ball screen separate where uh, the the ball handler never really gets a screen. It's almost like you're they call it refusing the screen, and that can really throw the defense off. Three options and Virginia just never got rolling defensively, figuring it out. That was uh, obvious all night long. And Pitt got a lot of open looks from three, made 14 of 32, just absurd numbers. They averaged 26 attempts per game coming in, but only shot 33.9%. You know, I noted in one of my postgame columns, there were, there have been games this year where 14 of 32 is the most makes they had uh, in a game this season, but the percentage is not the best percentage. They were 10 for 20 in one game. They also had some games where, you know, you're talking 5 for 25, 5 for 26, uh, 11 for 36 in one game. So, you know, if you're, to me, the rule is if you're shooting 33% from three, the effective field goal percentage of that's 50%. Because if you're one for three, you've got three points on three shots. That's one point per shot. So that's 50%. That's, you know, that's that's what you, you think there in terms of the math. And 14 of 32, I think that was 40, what was that, 43.8%. That's 42 points on 32 shots. That's like shooting 21 for 32. That's that's over 60%. That's, hey, take that, right? Um, and so, uh, in, in fact, it's up in mid-60s, like 65% or so, just doing the quick math in my head. So uh, that's, you, you know, you take that. And if you can make those shots, now, if let's just do some other math here, 33.9%. That's either 10 or 11 out of 32 on those 32 shots. If if they had a similar number of shots and were making their season-long percentage, all of a sudden it's either a one-point game Virginia or one, one or two-point game Pitt if they shoot their season percentage. So they made some shots. They made some tough shots. They also made a lot of open shots. Uh, and Virginia never figured it out. So uh, Blake Henson ended up with 27 points. Uh, he was 5 of 13 from three. It felt like he was about 12 of 13 from three, but he was he was only five of 13 from three, which means the other guys were nine of 19 from three. Uh, Guillermo Diaz-Graham, no relation, <laughs> I like to say. Uh, I mean, out in my backyard, and I'm pointing literally to the UVA basketball court I got here, half court in my backyard. Um, I'm a three-point shooter, but I'm not seven feet tall either, and I'm also 51 years old, going on 52. Um but uh, seven-foot center made two out of three, but just the fact that Graham is a 36% shooter on the season from three uh, is enough. Just his presence out there is enough to keep, uh, you know, to, to keep the defense's attention, you know, a defender's attention on the guy when he's setting a screen or doing the, the, the slip screen, the ball screen separate or whatever he's doing out there, as, as the case may be. Uh, and, uh, you know, then you saw Pitt, uh, you know, get in the lane for some open mid-range shots. Uh, and, uh, you know, just it felt like whatever Jeff Capel ordered up, they made the shots. And, and they only shot, for, again, they only shot 45% overall as a team. They were in the mid-40s from three, but they did enough. On Virginia's side of things, you know, hey, criticize me if you want. The video story guy did, and I wrote a mailbag column about that. Um, it felt like, to me, Tony Bennett overreacted. Pitt was five of eight from three in the first half, got a 22-15 lead. And Tony Bennett uh, decided that, you know, they're getting too many open looks on these ball screen separates. Uh, he took Jordan Miner, starting center, out of the game. Uh, he brought him back in in the second half to start the second half, took him out to 17-30 mark. Miner never got back in. Eight minutes, not foul trouble, just eight minutes on the game for Miner. And, um, you know, you notice after the game, 
uh, it's kind of, it's, it's one of those things, fog of war, I'll call it when you're in the, you know, in the middle of it, whether you're playing it, coaching it, just, just watching it closely. Like I am, I'm still, I'm not really, I mean, I got stat broadcast up. I've got the stats in front of me consult during the game, consult during timeouts, especially, but it never registered with me until afterward. My God, Pitt had a 35, 25 overall rebound advantage. More importantly than that, they had 11 offensive rebounds. Uh, Virginia had 22 defensive rebounds. That's a 33% offensive rebound rate. And Pitt converted those 11 offensive rebounds into 13 second chance points. Virginia only had two offensive rebounds and two second chance points. 13 to 2, the margin is 11, and the margin of the game was 11. As much as our attention is on the three point shooting, the rebounding was just as just as consequential to the final outcome of this game. The rebounding was a fact a, a factor and a function of Jordan Minor not being in the game. Minor played eight minutes. I mentioned. Uh, he had four points, a couple of dunks, uh, and uh, he didn't have a rebound uh, in those eight minutes. Uh, but he also wasn't out there to box out his guy and keep his guy from getting rebounds. Uh, and uh, and Virginia got dominated on the boards. Essentially, Virginia played this game as if it was the pre-Jordan Minor era, uh, which was the era when you had Blake Buchanan starting some at center. You had Jake Grove starting a lot at center. Two guys who, when Virginia was starting those two guys at center, Virginia was eleven and five, right? Uh, and uh, and so the the rebounding advantage uh, could have been, in my mind, it was at least as significant as the three point shooting advantage for Pitt in this game. And my criticism there is, I, I, again, I think, and I wonder if Tony Bennett would would you know cop to that later on. Um, certainly never would, would, you know, talk about it. No one would ask him about it because no one dares to ask these questions. Um, that's why I don't go to the post-game press conferences because no one asks anything that's resembling a tough question of Tony. And, uh, I don't want to be the a-hole doing that, but, um, you know, the rebounding, the, the, he, 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 almost like he outcoached himself there, uh, in, in that, in that sense. So, um, but that game's over. Virginia won't see Pitt again unless it's in Washington at the ACC tournament next month. Um, but man, oh man, you know, I know it was, there was talk on press row. Wow, here's a blueprint for how to beat Virginia. Well, I mean, there's other blueprints too. But uh, for for to beat how to beat anybody, um, I don't know that there are a lot of teams that run offense the way Pitt runs offense, though. And to the credit of Jeff Capel, it's interesting. Someone came up to me before the game and said one of the TV announcers had had uh, gotten to a chat with a couple of the writers and said something to the effect of uh, Pitt may win this game, but it won't be because of their coach. Uh, basically saying Jeff Capel, not a very good game coach. I like, you know, I've only watched them for 40 minutes once. And, and, and to the level, you know, when I watch games a lot, when it's not a Virginia game, I'm watching it more like a fan, you know, and I'm, I'm watching it for edification. I'm kind of watching the ball, you know, and that's to me the watching as a fan, when you watch the ball and you just watch the ball and see what happens, where's it go and that kind of thing. Um, not watching it analytically, which is, you know, when I'm watching a game analytically, I'm kind of, I don't know. It's almost like I'm zoning out. I'm seeing the ball like in the foreground, but I'm watching the, the play develop, um, how the defenders are defending the play, how the offense is running, whether it's a screen or whether they're just, you know, putting guys in the corner and, and running some pick and roll action, whatever they're doing, trying to see how everything develops and how guys defend it, that kind of thing. I have only watched Pitt play that way, you know, from that perspective once this season for 40 minutes. Um, I can't believe this team lost, was one in five at one point in the ACC. Now they've won six of the last seven. This Pitt team's pretty good. I like the talent they've got. Um, it's not a very deep uh, roster. 
Uh, capable only he, he goes to three guys on his bench. His bench doesn't really contribute an awful lot, but I like this team. Uh, I like this pit team a lot. Uh, and the way they play ball, I think that's a repeatable kind of thing. Um, what they did to Virginia the other night, you gotta make shots. That can be tough. Uh, you know, there's an old saying about the NBA, which I think should apply to all of basketball to make or miss game. Um, no matter what you do coaching wise, you know, you guys, uh, you, you can have the best defensive scheme in the world. And if the, uh, Other team makes tough shots, doesn't matter, and you can have the best offensive scheme and run everything perfectly, and if you miss a shot, you miss a shot. Um, I don't think this was uh, Virginia playing a, a good defensive game, not just the fact that they gave up the points they gave up, the shots they gave up. The approach wasn't good. Uh, I think the the coaching staff um, failed at uh, addressing it properly, um, took a guy out of the game, Uh, in the form of Jordan Minor that uh, should have been out there and uh, the, chalk it up, you know. And, and that all said, Virginia was in this game for a long stretch, 30 minutes or so before Pitt pulled away in the last 10 minutes. Um, and so now, okay, <laughs> out of our system, uh, you can't do anything about it, it's over. Um, quick look at how the metrics were affected. The metrics were affected the way you figure. I kind of equated this for me. How many people out there – trying to lose weight. I'm one of them. I want to run a marathon this year. Um, I am 20 pounds above my marathon weight. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still in good shape for walking around shape. Uh, <laughs> using a boxing term now, I'm throwing all the kinds of analogies and metaphors out there. Uh, but at 205, I don't want to run a, I don't want to run 26.2 miles at 205. I'd rather run at 180 or 185. So I'm trying to lose some weight. I don't, I, the marathon's not until November. I got plenty of time. But it seems like every time I lose, you know, half pound or some days even up to a pound, you know, you do that incrementally and, you you know, you, you over a four or five day period, you lose a couple of pounds, three pounds, and then you have a big dinner. You know, and I still work out that day, right? I still run a few miles and I do all this stuff. And then you, it doesn't matter. You, all, the, all the gains you made in terms of losses, you know, you're working towards your goal. Go away with one Mexican dinner. That's kind of what it feels like with, with Virginia and the metrics. S small incremental gains over that eight-game winning streak. You know, getting yourself from being way off the bubble to back on the bubble to the right side of the bubble to well within the bubble. And it's not like Virginia now is on the wrong side of the bubble, but you lose one game to a pretty good team. Now, Pitt's metrics aren't as good, but this Pitt team... Eh, This pit team looks to me like an NCAA tournament team. That game the other night felt like an NCAA tournament game. Um, Virginia dropped uh, the average of the six um, metrics that the uh, NCAA tournament selection committee uses, in addition to just their eye test. But just the we can't we can't measure the eye tests. We can measure the metrics. Virginia's average rank in the six last week was twenty nine point three. When I say last week, before the pit game, uh, after the win at Florida State Saturday night. It was 29.3. That's that's solid seven to eight seed. It's probably seven seed territory. After the loss to Pitt, drop almost eight full spots, 37.2, a 7.9 uh, spot uh, loss, if you want to say, uh, down to 37.2. All of a sudden, from a seven solid seven, maybe eight, down to a nine, maybe a 10. And it's just one game, and there's lots still to play. Virginia's 10 and four in the ACC. That means there's six games still to play. Uh, lots of room, opportunity, et cetera, to make up the difference here. 
Uh, but yeah, <laughs> one loss is just like going out and having Mexican food, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say that because man, I love I love you, you can't when they put the chips and salsa in front of you, you gotta eat it. Then you order your meal, and then you're at a Mexican restaurant. You're like, hey, give me the give me the jumbo margarita already. So, um, anyway, uh, that's that's what happened on Tuesday night. Virginia had a really good Mexican dinner. Um, all right, let's look ahead to Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest on Saturday at noon. I mean, I, okay, we love finally having a Saturday again for the first time since. Early December, Saturday ACC game. First time since the Syracuse game way back when. It felt like uh, the world was a different place back then. Um, but it's noon start. Man, oh, man, what are they doing to us? I got to, like, leave the house way earlier. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. And, of course, the guys, I mean, you know, you got to, you know, they'll be out there shooting at 930, right? I mean, you to, to get, you know, to get, get, get loose and all that kind of stuff. Wake Forest is the team coming to town. Spoiler alert, I don't like this matchup. <laughs> and I know we've already seen this once, and Virginia's already beaten a couple of teams, in fact, two teams, of the three that had beaten them early in the season, back uh, when things weren't going so well. Uh, that would be Notre Dame, NC State, and Wake. Notre Dame, Virginia avenged that loss. Uh, NC State, tough win over time, but, but won that game. Uh, and 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 now Wake coming to town. Uh, Wake won the first matchup, sixty six forty seven. Now, um, uh, that was the first game that Jordan Miner started, and you know I I have been one, and, and and I don't know if I've been the only one, but I know I've been loud about how that is what the difference to this season has been. You know, when you're the, the eleven and four start, I should correct myself from earlier. Uh, because he started the weight game. That's the loss that dropped Virginia to 11 and 5. Uh, the difference between that 11 and 4 team and the 19 and 5 team before the loss Monday, uh, Tuesday night um, was Jordan Minor. Now, not because he was scoring. I mean, he, he had a couple double digit games. He had 16 in the Virginia Tech game, for example. Uh, but the, the offense aside, it was what he did defensively and also what he did in terms of the rotation. Because all of a sudden, with Minor uh, as your starting center, giving you 20, 22 minutes a game. You know, that meant Blake Buchanan could come off the bench. He's no longer having to think, hey, am I going to start? Am I going to have to play 25 minutes? Or am I gonna, what am I going to do? Buchanan could settle in as the backup. He, you know, getting 12 to 15 minutes per game. He'd steal a few minutes with either Ryan Dunn or Jake Groves at the center spot instead of, you know, Groves playing 30 minutes as the starting center at 6'9", 200 and whatever he is, not much. Um, and, uh, you know, you have a stout guy in in um, minor to kind of anchor your your back line, you, and then that allows even more freedom for Ryan Dunn, the 6'8", 215-pound, what he's listed at, just dynamic athlete, to be the shot blocker that he is. Minor is, I mean, he'll block, he, he blocks shots one-on-one -on -one when he's defending, but he's much, he's much more of a help at the rim, um, sort of offside blocking, you know, off, off his guy blocking. Um, and he can he can do that uh, more effectively if he knows that there's a guy back behind him who can, you know, box his guy out and, and help get the rebound when he's out of position if he doesn't get the block or if he gets the block but only gets a partial. So Miner is was a key here, but Miner in that first game and he had a good game in that first game. He had nine points, um, five rebounds, block shot, twenty two minutes, battle head to head with the seven foot uh, Gonzaga transfer Efton Reed. Um, but even with Minor playing good defense, Virginia in that loss at Wake did not play 
at all good defensively and played even worse offensively. Let's talk about the offensive numbers first. Virginia shot 31.6% from the floor. Um, and it's uglier than that when you get into it. Uh, four of 14 on shots at the rim. Um, it was four of 12 from three. <laughs> and uh, eight of 31 on twos. Uh, Two-point jumpers, I should say. Uh, eight of 31. One, I mean, okay, eight is not bad. 31, 31 attempts from the mid-range. That's, that's you know, inability to get to the rim, inability to get open shots. Because, you know, two-point shots, two-point jump shots are going to be contested. You're closer to the, you know, you're closer to the rim. As a result, you're you're closer to defenders. Um, also, you're, you're, I mean, three point shots, often you're, you're in rhythm, you're, you're, you're often stationary. Um, and you can, you know, you can get, get, step into a shot, you know, kind of get your form down. Uh, two point jumpers are, are often, you know, you're, you're dribbled, you're off the dribble, you're, you're elevating, you got a guy in front of you, you might land on somebody, and there's all this stuff going on. So everybody shoots. Uh, a lower percentage from two on jumpers than they do from three. It's just, it's just what it is. Good shooters. And we'll talk about Isaac McNeely in a second. Um, so four of 14 at the rim, four of 12 from three, eight of 31 uh, from on, on two point jumpers. And it's just not good. It's just not good. Um, it's just not good. It's, you're not getting good offense. I mean, it's not just the results. It's, you know, the results are often the, the, uh, the function of, of running good offense and they just didn't run good offense. And it would not be so bad if it was because Wake was just this dominant defensive team, but they're not. 43rd nationally, I mean, that's out of 362 teams. That's top 11% or so. Uh, but the next game out, they got burned for 83 and a loss to NC State, and they've given up an average of 73.8 points per game since that win over Virginia back in, in January. So this is not an NC State, or excuse me, a Wake Forest team that is a dominant defensive team. And th that day, though, you know, Virginia could not get anything going. Looking at the Wake lineup, um, we'll focus on the key guys. Hunter, The other Gonzaga transfer, Hunter Salas. I mean, I read a piece about Gonzaga and their struggles this year. Now, they beat Kentucky last week. Kentucky now has played itself back towards the bubble. Gonzaga is trying to play its way on the way up to the bubble. <laughs> Gonzaga is not having the kind of season that you're used to out of the Mark Fuse program. And... Um, a reason why is Hunter Salas left, uh, and and the, the the article that I read was written from a perspective of wow Gonzaga losing guys they lost Efton Reed and Hunter Salas but Salas is a guy that was expected to do a, a lot offensively for Gonzaga this year and instead he's doing a lot offensively for Wake Forest this year eighteen point seven points a game forty nine point nine percent from the field forty point three percent from three and boy did we feel that uh, in that loss uh, in Winston Salem last month he was. 8 of 13 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3, 21 points in that game. Um, 8 is up. Uh, Kevin Miller, I know he's got a nickname. I think it's Boopy. I, I'm just going to go with Kevin Miller. Um, good numbers on the season, 15.7 points, 3.9 assists. And he had good numbers against Virginia, 14 points and 7 assists in 38 minutes in that game. And it just felt like it felt like it was more than that. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. felt like he had even more of an impact than those numbers would suggest. And those are pretty good numbers. Um, two other guys on this Wake roster averaging double digits. Uh, Andrew Carr, a 6'10 senior, 14 points and 6.8 rebounds per game. Another guy who can stretch it, 54% from the field, but 40.3% from three. Man, 6'10 guy, uh, 
And 6'4", junior Cam Hildreth, uh, 14 points a game, uh, 45% from the field, 36.7% from three. He used to be a guy who could just back you down and, and score that way. He can, he can do that now. He can hit three, so he's even better. Um, in the first game with Virginia, Carr had 12 points and 12 rebounds. Hildreth was the guy who had the quiet day. That was an afternoon. I don't want to say night. Seven points, three of 11 from the field, one of six from three. So Virginia did a good job on him, but not on anybody else. Um, Reed is the other starter. Uh, the 8.8 points, 8.1 rebounds, 1.5 blocks per game. And in the first game, he had nine points, eight rebounds, five blocks. Um, had a big game, big game defensively. Um, so how does Virginia match up here? Um, so I noted Jordan Miner started, played 22 minutes in that first one. Um, he only got eight minutes the other night. I think that's if he, that's the reason we lost that game. I know everybody. it's easy to look at 14 of 32 and say that's why we lost the game. I think if the rebounding is is where it needed to be, Virginia wins that game. Um, can't, can't go back and fix it. Uh, so Wake in that game down in Winston-Salem, um, in addition to dominating Virginia on the defensive end, Wake's defensive end, um, they shot 50% for the game, 10 of 21 from three, five of eight from three from uh, Hunter Salas being a part of that, but the other guys were five of 13. Um, and uh, Virginia's going to need a better defensive game from Ryan Dunn. Dunn is, I mean, he's the guy that, you know, you you hear this and then you say, how is this possible? Um, and I tell you that it doesn't matter how it's possible, it's going to happen. If he decides to go out in the draft this year as a sophomore, he'll be a lottery pick, late lottery pick, but still lottery pick. Um, and it's because of his defense. Uh, and yet on defense the other night, he got torched. Synergy Sports is one of the websites I subscribe to to get uh, deep analytics numbers just to you know there's a number for everything and among the numbers that synergy gives you is what a guy gives up on defense what his what the guy he's guarding does and uh, in that game ryan gave up 16 points on six of 10 shooting ah this is for a guy who you know not too long ago i haven't looked the numbers up today but i was quoting this for a friend on the or just talking on the phone the other night and Ryan sees a long uh, – he was giving up something like 3.9 points a game on 25.8% shooting or something like that. It was 16 points on 6 of 10 shooting in that loss. Blake Henson really – he owned it. He owned Virginia, but he really owned Ryan Dunn in that game. Going to need Dunn to do a much better job. I would expect him uh, getting the matchup with Salas. That's – I mean, that's where I put him. 6'5", uh, uh, Salas, I make, I make him have to, you know, work – Around done and go through done and go over done. And that's that's hard to do. Um Dunn gave up 10 points in the weight game. Uh and, and so uh it, you know, a month ago. Uh so Dunn's gonna need to step up. Uh Reese Beekman, uh now this is this is I'll note this that Beekman um uh had a good defensive game in the weight loss. Uh offensively in that game, 10 points four assists, quiet day. Um on the season, averaging 14.6 assists. His last five, 18.2 points, 5.4 assists. Reese is really, I mean, it, you know, I noted it the other night. I kind of just blurted it out loud on press row a couple of the times when Reese was uh, was was kind of just taking over. Uh, it felt like a Malcolm Brogdon moment. Uh, I've, I have been thinking Malcolm Brogdon with this kid for four years in terms of, I mean, his athleticism, his ability to get to the rim, his shooting certainly is at, at four years ago, three years ago when he was a freshman was, was nowhere near 
where Brogdon had was even as a freshman himself way back when. Uh, but he's grown into it. 29.7% from three is respectable uh, for, for Beekman. But, uh, uh, you, you know, the one thing that was missing from Beekman's game was what Mal Malcolm Brogdon's will. <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon, athletically, was, was, you know, that one knock on him when he went uh, after his five years at EVA, uh, including the, the uh, redshirt fresh the redshirt yeah redshirt sophomore year I guess it was he had a redshirt as a sophomore because of the foot injury um, was it the lack of athleticism that's why he fell to the second round of the draft he's still playing ball now making a lot of money doing so because of his smarts but also his will he just I mean he he's a guy that wants to win and he wants to win more than just about everybody else in the NBA or anywhere <laughs> and. The one thing that seemed missing from Beekman was that he was too deferential for three years. He deferred to Kihei Clark. Um, and this year it's his team. In the last five games, he's played like he wants, he doesn't want his career to end until it has to end. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we're going to need that kind of game out of him on Saturday with, with this game. Also picking up offensive slack of late Isaac McNeely, the sophomore, he's averaging 12.5 points per game on the season 15.6 points per game in the last five. And I want to point out this stat. I talked about the the two-point mid-range shooting uh, versus three-point shooting. You know, re, uh, uh, Isaac uh, is one of the top five in the country in three-point shooting on the season. Uh, but for the longest time, his knock was mid-range shooting was was abysmal. He was, In the first 19 games of the season, his first 19 games, he had to miss a game. Um early in the season, he was 21 of 64 on mid-range jumpers. 21 of 64 is 32.8%. Um, a big difference for him in the last five games, 13 of 25 on mid-range jumpers, 52%. Um, he, if he's coming off those screens in the mover blocker, the sides offense, if he's coming off those screens and is a threat to hit that 12 to 15-foot jumper, if he's going to make 52% of those, that open, I mean, that gives him another option. Then he, it makes it easier for him to flatten out if the if if, if his defender is going to try to cheat under the screen, he can flatten out to the three point line where he's forty six point seven percent. We'll take those as well. Uh, but also then, if if he's going to get doubled off of the the screens in the lane, um, that creates a passing lane for Jordan Minor or Ryan Dunn uh, or a passing lane out to Jake Groves in the three point line. Him making those shots makes him a, a just a completely different player, um, and he's making them. So uh, credit to him. In season, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to develop something new in the middle of a season. That's something that happens after a season. He's he's giving give him credit. He's he's doing well uh, to to improve his game. The the a key to this game, I think the key to this game, in addition to Ryan Dunn in, in defense uh, on Hunter Salas, is going to be what Virginia can do down low. Uh, Wake goes big across the front line. I mentioned the, the, the you know uh, Efton Reed and, and Andrew Carr. Reed is seven feet tall. Carr is six ten. Um, they have a backup six uh, ten. Uh, uh, I got to find his first name here. Uh, Keller. Oh, I left. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I left it out. I have to go back and edit the story. Uh, but the 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 backup six ten Keller. <laughs> His first name is a mystery, but we'll we'll uh, edit the story so that I've got that fixed up. But he plays the, those three guys. He plays the seven footer, the two six ten guys. 
um, averaged 71.7 minutes per game when you combine their numbers. What that says is essentially Steve Forbes puts two big guys, a seven-footer and a 6'10 guy, or two 6'10 guys on the floor for 36 of the 40 minutes. He's got two bigs for 36 of the 40 minutes on, on an average per game. Um, he's still obviously he's he's playing you know a big guy for the other four minutes, but he's got two big guys out there. The bulk of the game, ninety percent of the game, um, makes it incumbent on Virginia in this one because Ryan Dunn at six eight, he's he's very he's a light guy. I mean, he's an athletic guy, but he's he's not a bruiser, say the least. Jake Groves, I keep talking about Reed Thin. He's six nine, two hundred and whatever. Uh, he's he's a three point shooter at six nine. He's 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 got to bang some. And Jordan Miner's going to need to have a game. He's he, avoid foul trouble. All three of these guys, all four of the guys, throw throw done in there. Um, had to avoid foul trouble uh, and and body up if they want to stay uh, in contact in this game. So I say all that to say uh, I don't like his match <laughs> Um It's a tough one. It's a tough one for Virginia. Uh, you know the the fact that Wake goes so big. Uh, they've got. Two really good. I mean, actually, three really good guards. I, I don't. I shouldn't take anything away from Cam Hildreth. I like. I like Cam Hildreth's game too. I mean, it's pretty. I, I like. I like this Wake roster. Uh, and, and what they can do. Uh, not very deep. Uh, the bench guys don't have a lot of punch. So I mean, Virginia's side. Okay, I'm. You know, we always think of, of, of the of the game through the lens of the Virginia team. From the Wake perspective, yeah, they got to avoid foul trouble too. I mean, there's really, there's there's not much in terms of a backup. Uh, for Miller at the point guard spot, for example. So maybe if, if Reese can make him work a little bit, get a couple cheapies early, you know, that gets Wake out of the game a little bit. You know, if if, if Virginia can get a, a, you know, if Miller has to go to the bench in the first half with foul trouble, that's 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 picking time right there for Virginia. Um, get one of the bigs in foul trouble. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have a preference. Read, read defensively, car offensively, you know. Um, if if Dunn can can keep Salas in check to some degree. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that can work here for Virginia too, but, you know, we've seen it once uh, and Wake played it so well the first time. The game's in Charlottesville. Uh, it's a it's, it's not a must win for Virginia. It's a, it's it's more of a must win for Wake. At 8-5, and five, this is a quad one game for Wake uh, on the road at uh, Virginia. So a chance for Wake to get a resume uh, building win and – you know, they're on the wrong side of the bubble right now. Virginia's still within the bubble. You know, a lot of the loss or two, certainly, and Virginia's in bad shape. But uh, right now, not. But, uh, you know, this, this, these are two teams that need a win. Um, Wake more desperately so. Virginia would love to get, you know, the W here. And I, I think, I mean, if, you know, I'm kind of like Tony. I don't, you know, he, he talks a lot about the next game is whatever the next game is. I think the next game is Monday night with, with Virginia Tech down in Blacksburg. So, Another tough play. That's a tough place to play. We'll talk about that on the weekend. But um, get the win in this one, and uh, you know you can see what happens from there. As much as I don't like the matchup, the computers do uh, for Virginia. Uh, ESPN's BPI, the Basketball Power Index, and Bart Torvik uh, each have Virginia as a two-point favorite, and Ken Palm and Evan Maya have Virginia as a one-point favorite. So um, I went out of my way to look for four things just to see, uh, you know, I'm going to look to see if there's anybody with a counter uh, perspective. And um, that was, uh, that's what the verdict was. So, uh, okay. That's a Saturday noon tip. 
uh, of course, we'll be there. We being AFP, we AFP being me and Scott German, uh, we'll be sitting most likely next to Jerry Radcliffe. They they kind of moved our seats around the other day. Doug Downey for a season and a half has been sitting to my right. He's, they have, they pushed him a row back and left a seat to my right empty. It's just weird. You know, like, I mean, I like the extra room, but I also like chatting with Doug. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be there on Saturday at noon. We'll be there before noon. Um, and of course, the the you know around two thirty or so, I should have the first story up after the game. We'll have a lot of post game stuff. Uh, both uh, the you know the that first that first uh, recappy like thing, then the uh, what else? Then the five observations. You know, with an early start, I imagine I'll get. Uh, Tom, for uh, the, uh, the when it's a night game, the the perspectives from Coach Bennett and the two players they give us uh, usually end up being the next day. But I, I'll probably have time to do it that night uh, as well. Uh, maybe even get a podcast in that night too. And listen, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long fun day. Hopefully, uh, it's a long fun day no matter what. But a long fun day, it's even a more fun day when uh, there's a, a win to write and talk about. So anyway. Uh, that's what we'll be doing on Saturday. Then we'll get you ready for for next week, a uh, big week with uh, Virginia Tech and North Carolina next Saturday, right? Um, Got to get the win here first. Uh, hey, if you have any questions for me, any any comments, uh, any criticisms, if you don't think I, I'm qualified to, to to do any of this, you can tell me. I mean, that's fine. Uh, please email me at chris at augustafreepress.com.